how can someone who is God's enemy, someone who is born in sin, who lives as an enemy and a rebel against God, how can that person ever come to know the perfectly holy God who is our Creator? Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright. On today's program, Tom begins a two-part series titled, You Must Be Born Again. In John's Gospel, Chapter 3, what did Jesus mean when he told Nicodemus that he must be born again? Well, the answer to this question is no small matter. Rather, it has eternal significance. Our Lord made it clear to Nicodemus that salvation is impossible apart from a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, man cannot save himself. Instead, the Holy Spirit has to regenerate him, that is, to give him new spiritual life. In this short series, Pastor Tom will help us understand four crucial details about regeneration. And Tom, as we begin, why is it absolutely crucial that every Christian know and understand this doctrine of regeneration? It's important, Bill, because regeneration is a key doctrine of the Christian faith. It's one that explains how a sinner truly comes to be changed. According to Ephesians 2, all people are born dead in their trespasses and sins. All are disobedient to God and His law. All of us follow after the lusts of our flesh. All people are under the control of the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. And all human beings are children of wrath. Therefore, none of us can or will believe in Christ left to ourselves. But once regeneration happens, once God summons us out of spiritual death, gives us spiritual life, we are alive as a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's regeneration. And we have to understand that we would still be spiritually dead without God's supernatural work. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher now here on The Word Unleashed. As we were studying 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, this is what we learned. If you know that He, that is the Father, is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. This is the first time in his letter that John describes the believer as having been born of God. But this won't be the last time. In fact, some 10 times in 1 John alone, John uses this picture, and he does the same thing in his gospel, because John sees this idea of being born again at the very center of the Christian faith and the Christian gospel. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? If you have not been born again, then I can tell you on the authority of God's Word that you do not belong to the kingdom of God, that you do not have eternal life, that your sins have not been forgiven. If, on the other hand, you can say, honestly, yes, Tom, I have been born again, let me ask you this question. Do you really understand 
what it is that has happened to you. Do you understand what that even means? This concept is so important, it is so foundational that today I want to pause our study of 1 John and I want to study it together. Here's really the question. How can someone who is God's enemy, someone who is born in sin, someone who, as Jesus described, all people are children of the devil, how can someone who lives in the darkness in a pattern of sin, who lives as an enemy and a rebel against God, how can that person ever come to know the perfectly holy God who is our Creator? The answer is something has to happen first. God must change that person's very nature. There must be first a pervasive, radical change. And that change, theologically, is called regeneration. Here's how it works. When you were saved, think back to the day when you came to know Jesus Christ. On the day that you were saved, you either heard or you read or you remembered the biblical gospel. You remembered the facts about Christ and how he had come and died and was raised again and how by repenting and believing in him, you could be saved. You heard the gospel. That's what theologians call the general or the external call. Every time you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is an external call, a summons to say, come, believe, repent, receive this gospel. But on the day that you were saved, it was different because perhaps you'd heard the gospel many times before, but, but in that moment, on that day, God spoke through the gospel to powerfully, irresistibly call you, or better, to summon you, to summon you to himself. That's what theologians call the internal or the effectual call. And by that internal call, God summoned you out of spiritual death, and by the creative power of His Word, He gave you spiritual life. That's regeneration. And it's that radical change that I want us to study together today. Now, we're going to look at several texts, but I want to frame our study in just one of them, and that is in John chapter 3. Go back to John's Gospel and chapter 3. Let me read for you the first eight verses. You follow along. John 3, beginning in verse 1. Of course, this is Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. Let's read it together. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
Now let me just begin by telling you that I am a bit frustrated because this text deserves a series of sermons. And we're going to cover it in one. My goal is not to work through this text in a sort of expositional way as we would do if we were studying John's gospel. Rather, my goal is to draw out of this passage in our Lord's teaching His explicit teaching here about this issue of regeneration. As we look at it together, we're going to learn four crucial details about this miraculous, radical change that is regeneration. So let's look at these details together. The first one is this, the necessity of regeneration. The necessity of regeneration. Look at verse 7. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Literally, the Greek text says, it is necessary for you to be born from above. It is necessary for you to be born from above. So it is necessary, Jesus says. First of all, it is necessary for everyone. In the Greek text, in verse 7, the pronoun you is plural. Jesus is not just addressing Nicodemus in this statement. It's plural. It includes all the Jews. You must be born again. But remember, John wrote his gospel not to the Jewish people, but to the entire world. And so John's point in quoting Jesus here is that regeneration is necessary for Nicodemus. It's necessary for all the Jews. It's necessary for the whole world. It's necessary for you. You understand that? You need to be born again. And so do I. It is necessary. And we see that even more when we consider the person and the nature of the person to whom Jesus said these words. He's speaking, remember, to Nicodemus. And and when we think about Nicodemus, when we think about the sort of spiritual advantages Nicodemus has, we're reminded that this issue of regeneration is necessary in spite of those spiritual advantages. Just think about this text and this person called Nicodemus. Regeneration is necessary in spite of a connection with God's people. Remember, verse 1 says, he is of the Jews. He's connected to the people God chose. He's one of the chosen people. It's necessary in spite of a confession of the true God. As a practicing Jew, Nicodemus would have recited the Shema, that great confession of God as the only God, as Yahweh being my God, he would have done that every day. Regeneration was necessary in spite of the fact that Nicodemus was a moral, outwardly righteous person. He lived a moral lifestyle. Notice verse 1 says he was a man of the Pharisees. You remember when Jesus quoted the Pharisee in his story in Luke 18, he He gives the Pharisee, puts in the Pharisee's mouth a string of claims about all the things he doesn't do and all the things he does. He basically says, I I live a morally righteous life. It's like Paul in Philippians 3 who says, when it came to the law, I was blameless. The external observance of the law, I was perfect. Nicodemus was like that, but he needed to be born again. He was theologically conservative. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were those who were devoted to the entire Old Testament Scripture, who were rigorous in their their conservative theology and holding to what the Scriptures taught. So he, he had a great theological system. 
it was flawed, as Jesus pointed out, but it was traditional. It was conservative. He needed to be regenerated in spite of that. Nicodemus needed to be regenerated in spite of a deep knowledge of the Scripture. He could have, he could have won any sword drill that you want to enter into. Notice verse 10. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. In other words, Nicodemus was the foremost teacher in Judaism in the first century. There was nothing about the Old Testament that he didn't know. He had likely memorized at least the first five books, the books of the law, and likely much more of the Old Testament. He knew the Bible, but he needed to be born again. He also had a respect for Jesus. Verse 2, he identifies himself to Jesus and says, Rabbi. That was a collegial term of respect. He's indicating his respect for, for Jesus. He had a recognition that Jesus was from God. Verse 2 says, we know that you have come from God. He had an appreciation for Jesus' teaching and Jesus' wisdom. We know that you have come from God as a teacher. He had a belief in Jesus' divinely received power. Verse 2 says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He believed the miracles, and he believed that God was the one enabling Jesus to work those miracles. And he had a desire to learn from Jesus. I mean, after all, verse 2 says he came to Jesus by night. Why? To, to learn from Jesus how to be right with God. In his own way, according to his own way of thinking, he wanted Jesus' instruction. So think about all those things. Think about all those spiritual advantages. But in spite of every single one of those, he still needed to be born again. Why? Why is it necessary for everyone? And why is it necessary in spite of all of those spiritual advantages? It's necessary, thirdly, because by nature, we are unable to interact with God. We are, first of all, spiritually blind. By nature, we are spiritually blind. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot. And this Greek word, by the way, is the word dunamai. It means to have the power, to have the capacity, to have the ability. He says, unless you're born again, you do not have the ability, the power to see the kingdom of God. Jesus likely means that apart from the new birth, we cannot appreciate, spiritually understand, grasp the spiritual kingdom that God's true people belong to. And you see this with Nicodemus. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now, give Nicodemus a little credit here. He's, he's the teacher in Israel. He's a very intelligent man. So he, I don't believe he's saying, you know, you want me to be physically born again? No, I think he understood Jesus was talking about a spiritual rebirth. But he's saying, look, I'm an old man. I've lived a long life. I've accumulated a lot of sin and a lot of debt. How do you start over again? You can't be go back into your mother's womb and begin it all again, how exactly do we encounter this spiritual rebirth? He didn't get it. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Nicodemus, for all of his knowledge of the Scripture, didn't really understand it. 
Why? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, a natural man, a man who hasn't experienced regeneration, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he, hears our word, he cannot, he does not, dunamai, have the capacity to understand them because they are spiritually appraised. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says unbelievers, those who have not been regenerated, who have not experienced the new birth, are blind to the glory of Jesus Christ in the gospel. They don't see it. We look at Christ and we sing those songs. We sing, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. We sing those songs, I love you more than than anything else and more than I ever have. And to us who know him, it makes perfect sense. To the unbeliever, it makes no sense. Why would you say that? We're spiritually blind. We need rebirth because we're spiritually blind. It's necessary also because we are only flesh. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What Jesus is saying is our human nature does not have the capacity or power to produce spiritual life. Only God's Spirit can do that. That's why in chapter 1, verse 13, John writes, the children of God were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. That's our problem, is we are by nature unable to interact with God, to know God. We are only flesh. We've been born only into our sinful human nature, and we don't have the capacity to change that. Only the Spirit can. A third reason it's necessary because of our nature is that in in our nature, we are marked by complete spiritual inability. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot, dunamai, he does not have the power to enter into the kingdom of God. That is the most shocking statement of all. Unbelievers do not have the ability to enter God's kingdom. Jesus puts it this way. Look over at chapter 6, verse 44. He says, no one, that's a categorical negative, not a single person can, dunamai, has the power, has the ability to come to me. That's shorthand for come to me for salvation. No one has the power to come to me for salvation unless, this is the one exception, the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus says, no one has the power or ability to approach me for salvation unless the Father draws him. And that word draws is used in the New Testament of dragging someone to jail. Unless the Father irresistibly compels him to come. We cannot come to Christ for salvation on our own. Why? Because we're powerless. And why were we powerless when we heard the gospel to come to Christ? Why couldn't that happen? It's because, number four, because by nature we are spiritually dead. We are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1, Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead, spiritually dead with reference to God. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 18, you are separated from the life of God. So if we are dead, what does that require if we're ever to know God? Regeneration. God must give us spiritual life. 
I've often used an illustration to show just how badly most Christians think about all of this. And I'm going to share it with you again because, frankly, I haven't found one that I like better or that communicates the truth any clearer. When the average Christian, and you can quiz yourself here, when the average Christian thinks of the need to be saved, he typically thinks of salvation like this. We're, we're all on a ship floating through an endless ocean, and, and we as the sinner have accidentally fallen overboard, and we suddenly find ourselves treading water in a huge endless ocean in the middle of a raging storm. Our situation seems hopeless, and, and our only hope for salvation, our only hope of rescue is if, if God will throw us the life preserver. And in most people's thinking, this is what God does with the gospel. God is, as it were, on the deck, and he, he hurls the life preserver out into the water, hoping that, that we will be able to get it and will choose to get it. And there it is, floating in the water. And over the waves, we finally see it, and we see the life preserver. And so we fight and swim and claw our way back to that life preserver. And then having fought our way there, we lock our arms around it. And then God on the deck hauls us into safety using the life preserver that is the gospel. Thrilled that we were able to make it to the life preserver. Folks, nothing could be farther from the truth. Instead, the person I've just described caught at sea, floating hopelessly in the middle of the storm, is already dead. He's dead. He has no ability to see his rescuer. He cannot fight his way to the life preserver. He has no strength to lock his arms around the truth that will rescue him. Instead, he is sinking hopelessly with no ability to aid in his rescue. In fact, He's completely unaware that he's even in danger. He doesn't even know that he needs to be saved. Why? Because he's dead. And it's worse than that. He's not dead floating there in the water because he accidentally fell overboard. No, he's dead because in stubborn, resolute defiance against the gracious standards of the generous captain, he purposefully jumped off the ship because he would not have anyone else tell him what to do. And now he finds himself dead floating in the water. Folks, that was our true condition when God found us. Ephesians 2.5 even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. Regeneration is necessary for everyone because we were blind, we're only flesh, we are marked by complete spiritual inability, and apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. No wonder Jesus says you must be born again. There's a second detail back in our text in John 3 about regeneration, and it's the nature of regeneration. What is regeneration? Well, let's look at it several different ways. First of all, let's begin as we look at the nature of regeneration by considering some theological definitions. Here in John 3, Christ refers to it twice in verse 3 and verse 7 as being born again. The theological word for born again is regeneration. You get it, to generate to be born, regeneration, that's to be born again, regeneration. The actual word regeneration occurs only twice in the New Testament, the Greek word. The first time it's in Matthew 19, 28, 
There Jesus talks about the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne. There it is the renewal of the world at the second coming of Jesus preparing for His earthly reign, the millennium. But the other time it's used is in Titus chapter 3. Turn there with me, Titus chapter 3, and look at verse 5. Here Paul writes, God saved us, He rescued us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. How did He save us? Here it is, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. In other words, He says we are saved, we are rescued by this miraculous activity called regeneration, by the new birth. And notice He describes it here in two ways. It is washing and it is renewing. Keep those two words in mind because we're going to see them in another place. Washing and renewing. What regeneration then is, is this internal spiritual renewal that washes and renews us. It's part of the application of redemption to our individual lives. So to regenerate then means to impart life, a renewal of life. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series, You Must Be Born Again. Tom will have part two for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.